namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, entitled Creation, Chapter 3, Krishna is the Source of All Incarnations, Text 34. Yadaya Soparata Devi Maya Vaisharadi Mati Sampanayavati Vidur Mahimni swa mahiyate Yadi so parata devi Maya vaisaradi mati Sampanaya viti vidur Mahimni swa mahiyate Yadi so parata devi Maya vaisaridi mati Sampanaya viti vidur Mahimni swamahiyate Yadi If, however, Esha They Uparata Subsided, Devi Maya, illusory energy, Vaisaradi, full of knowledge, Mati, enlightenment, Sampana, enriched with, Eva, certainly, Iti, thus, Vidu, being cognizant of Mahimni in the glories, Swe of the self, Mahiyate being situated in. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. If the illusory energy subsides, and the living entity becomes fully enriched with knowledge by the grace of the Lord, then he becomes at once enlightened with self-realization, and thus becomes situated in his own glory. Purport. Because the Lord is the absolute transcendence of all his forms, names, pastimes, attributes, associates, and energies are identical with him. His transcendental energy acts according to his omnipotency. The same energy acts as his external, internal, and marginal energies. And by his omnipotency, he can perform anything and everything through the agency of any of the above energies. He can turn the external energy into internal by his will. 
Therefore, by his grace, the external energy which is employed in illusioning those living beings who want to have it subsides by the will of the Lord in terms of repentance and penance for the conditioned soul. And the very same energy then acts to help the purified living being make progress on the path of self-realization. The example of electrical energy is very appropriate in this connection. The expert electrician can utilize electrical energy for both heating and cooling by adjustment only. Similarly, the external energy which now bewilders the living being into continuation of birth and death is turned into internal potency by the will of the Lord to lead the living being to eternal life. When a living being is thus graced by the Lord, he is placed in his proper constitutional position to enjoy eternal spiritual life. Oma Gyana Timaranda Shajanajana Shalakaya Chakshurun Mesam Jaina Tasmai Sri Guruve Namaha. I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Vinovistam Sapitam Jena Vutales Vayam Rupav Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam. When will Sri Rupa Goswami who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet. I offer my respectful obeisances to Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasari Gaura Bhaktivrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Vastakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So I must apologize. Somehow or another, I prepared for the wrong verse. Um, You know, it's kind of funny. Yesterday, usually what I do is I read the verse, and then I read the purport, and then I meditate on it, like, all day. And somehow or another, like, I figure out what I'm going to talk about. And yesterday, it just wasn't coming to me. And... It was like 10 o'clock at night, and I had no idea what I was going to talk about. And so I kind of threw something together, and really, honestly, I wasn't that like excited about what I was going to talk about. And then when I saw the board, I realized why I wasn't inspired by yesterday's verse, because it wasn't the verse I was meant to speak on. And somehow or another, Krishna just didn't give me that, that like, you know... Um, motivation to like speak on that verse because I wasn't really supposed to. So I'm just going to pray that I can speak on something because I I think he kind of wanted me to speak off the cuff, which I'm okay doing if it's a topic I know about. And the topic is Krishna, so hopefully I can say something that can enlighten somebody and, you know, speak to the heart of the devotees. So here we're talking about 
Krishna, the illusor, in the illusory energy. And we're in the chapter, well, we're talking about creation, and we're, the chapter of Krishna is the source of all incarnations. So we've just gotten through describing creation, all the different incarnations, and how that per, um, pertains to our devotional service and our devotional life. So what I'm thinking about here is, why are we here? You know, where did we come from, and why are we here? And originally what happened is we were all in the spiritual world, and somehow or another we thought, let me enjoy the way Krishna is enjoying. In the spiritual world, everybody is focused on one thing, and that is Krishna's pleasure, God's pleasure. And for a second, we got envious of that, and we wanted the pleasure to be ours, for it to be for our pleasure, for us to be the controller. And God, being the ever-loving, generous, supreme person that he is, said, okay, but I can have you, you know, I can create a whole world for you to do that, because here, everything runs smoothly because I'm at the center, and I'm this the reason for pleasure, the source of pleasure. So he created this whole entire material universe, which is what you know we discussed in previous verses, creation. Um, and we know that it's just a portion of the entire world. The material world that he created is just a portion of the entire world. I think it's one-fourth, and then three-fourths is the spiritual world. And so we come to the material world, and we get a body um, based on our desires and thoughts and actions. So we're born, and we grow, and then we maybe reproduce, and then we die. And then we do that all over again, whether it's in a human body or another body, animal body or plant body. It's just that cycle of birth and death continues and continues. And it can continue for thousands and thousands of lifetimes. And so that we can try to enjoy to our maximum level, Krishna, we have this, what's called the illusory energy or maya. Maya is there to cover us um, so that we can try to achieve this pleasure. But because we're not really in our constitutional position, which is servant of Krishna and working towards his pleasure, we have all sorts of suffering and calamities, and we've talked about that before too. So um, we are trying to plead, you know, work towards our own pleasure, and we do all these things in the pursuit of that pleasure, things like pursuing opulence, um, fame, um, power, prestige, money, wealth, beauty, because we think these things are going to give us pleasure. And maybe they do. Maybe it's some type of temporary pleasure. And then it's like, okay, what's next? You know, it's always, it's never enough. And, you know, we just keep going for the next bigger and badder thing that we can find. And that um, illusory energy keeps us in that phase of, you know, trying to find this pleasure stuff until we step back and we say, wait, you know, I'm doing all these things and it's not leading to eternal pleasure. It's, it's always temporary. There must be something else. 
So then when we have that thought of there must be something else, Krishna, and we talked about this before, um, he sits in our hearts as well. As the He sits there as the Paramatma, right? And as soon as we have that thought of, you know, what else is there? Is there something else? He starts to guide us again according to our um, desire. So if we truly desire to figure it out and to f- learn about God and say, okay, what more can I learn? Then he leads us on a path that can lead us to him. And if we're thinking that, oh, you know what, I just want to, um, I know that there's something higher. I think it's the universe, and, you know, it's this big light. Well, then he leads us towards a path that's going to give us that information. So whatever we have, that, whatever desire we have in our heart is how he leads us. In Bhagavad Gita 1861, it says, The Supreme Lord is situated in everyone's heart and is directing the wanderings of all living entities. Who are, seated on, who are seated as on a machine made of the material energy. So this confirms that Krishna is there waiting for us to, to have that realization that there's something more. And when we start to think like that, like there's something more, what else can I do? And then we, you know, we may come into contact with a devotee who gives us a book, which is you know, something we touched on last week about the importance of preaching in whatever way we can, because we never know who's going to be interested in taking up that information. You know, whose heart has been opened up to see if there's something more. Um, and we see this on a mundane level where people will, you know, they all of a sudden think, I think we see it more in, let's say, dating life, right? So there could be a... a a man or a woman these days that are dating and they're not making any kind of commitments and they keep dating and they date different people until they just realize that there's, you know, like there's no steadiness, there's no stability in just dating different people one week after another week. And so then they start, they're ready to settle down, right? And so in that same way, when we're ready to learn about God, you know, because we're tired of trying to pursue the latest um, source of pleasure, then Krishna awakens that in our heart. And we come across the devotees or whatever information we're looking for. And let's say we're, we are looking for, like, how do we get ourselves free from the cycle of birth and death? Who do, we, um, who do we actually serve? What is our original position? How do we get back there? Then we come across a devotee, we read one of these books, and then we come to the temple, and we start to learn and we learn that, you know, everything here is material energy and it's illusion. That doesn't necessarily make it bad. And here the example of electricity can either be cooling or heating is given. And how that um, analogy applies is the illusory energy, this material energy, is neither good nor bad. It's how we use it. So this microphone can be used, you know, like it is right now. I'm, I'm speaking about Krishna and educating on how we can free ourselves from the cycle of birth and death, or it can be used to spew, you know, nonsense about um, pursuing the latest source of pleasure. And it 
could be just for like serving my own um, goals instead of discussing about Krishna. So the microphone itself isn't inherently inherently bad or good. It's how it's used. The same, you know, our body is not inherently bad or good. It's how it's used. So if everything that we're doing is in service of Krishna and in pursuit of that true knowledge, um, and true knowledge is love, right? Love is love for God, love for our fellow um, humans and other species. Um, so love for every living entity, basically. So that's where our um, where we can really purify everything that we're doing as if we're in that pursuit of that. So nothing is either inherently good or bad or evil, um, as it's said. So how do we get there? And of course, the answer always comes back to chanting. Because that really is the, the way we attain this knowledge. And the beauty of it is because the, the Maha Mantra does contain, you know, it is non-different than Krishna himself. So when we chant, Krishna appears. It's said it's like he's dancing on our tongue. When we say the, the Maha Mantra, you know, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And so he's come in that in his um, most merciful form, which is the holy name. And all we have to do is chant it, remember it um, all the time, right? We set aside some time to do that specifically with focused intention, and we do it on beads. You know, we chant on the beads where it engages our fingers or our sense of touch. You know, we may light some incense so that it engages our sense of smell. Um, we might have like a really pretty um, picture of the deities, or we might actually even be chanting in front of the deities, Radha Kalachanji. So we have our vision engaged, and by chanting, we're engaging our um, tongue, and we're also engaging our ears. So we're trying to engage all of our senses in this chanting. And when we chant, Krishna comes, so it's like we're having our personal conversation with him. And that's why chanting is so important, is because this is our time to spend with Krishna, with God. There's no other time that we can really get his focused attention and our focused attention on him. We can chant throughout the day, and that's fine. It's always good to, like, you know, if you're walking somewhere, driving somewhere, it's good to kind of have that the Maha Mantra going on in your head like at all times, right? We want to get to the point where we're always remembering Krishna and never forgetting him. So when we chant in that focused intention, we start to realize what our true relationship is with Krishna and how we can engage in that. And because we're not, you know, in chapter 6, Bhagavad Gita says these are the ways that we can meditate. And he says, you know, you want to go to the forest and isolate yourself and sit on a raised platform, cover it. Um, I think he says cover it with deer skin and soft cloth and just focus on a fixed point and meditate on that. But in this day and age, that's not very practical. First of all, our minds wander all over the place. And second of all, we have a lot of obligations. 
So throughout the day, we may be doing different things, but the set-aside time that we create for Krishna is the only time that we're focused just on him. So it's really important that we take that time to do that. Um, And when we start to do that, when we do that and we start to focus on him and we start to really um, focus on that prayer of, please let me serve you, Krishna reveals how we can serve him. You know, we all have our true nature, what we're good at, what we're not so good at, um, what's more challenging for us. And so when we start, when we engage in that pure um, chanting and we're really thinking of how can I serve you, he reveals what our service is to him. And it takes into account our nature and what we're good at and how we relate to the world you know, if someone's an introvert and gets social anxiety around people, maybe going out on books to strangers is not the best thing for them, but maybe it's meeting people one-on-one and being able to discuss on a more personal level what Krishna, who Krishna is and how Krishna has affected each of our lives. Um, if somebody is more extroverted and really great at creating conversations, then you know, maybe it is good for them to go out on books and um, talk to people in that way. And, and going out on books means, you know, going out. It could be door-to-door. It could be, like, in a busy parking lot um, where you approach people just kind of out of the blue. In the sales industry, it would be called, like, a cold call. So you're kind of cold calling people but in person, and you're asking them, like, what are they looking for? And it seems like a weird thing to do. But I can tell you that sometimes when, you, when people do that, it's like I said, nobody, you never know what's going on in the other person's mind and what they're looking for. And all of a sudden, you could have been exactly what you're looking for. And because you were there, you were able to give them what they were looking for. Other ways, like I said, for me personally, I know that my service is intertwined with um, being a doctor and educating um, the more I look at, um, there's a type of medicine that I'm, I'm really interested in, I really practice, it's called lifestyle medicine, and it looks at how we live our lives every single day and how it affects our health and well-being. And one of the main tenets of that is, you know, what do we eat? How do we eat? Um, and what they found, studies after studies, this is like clinical research that's been done that shows that the more plant-based diet that we eat, which means, you know, eating more whole foods, um, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, lentils, beans, nuts and seeds, the more of that that we eat, the healthier we are. And the less red meat, processed meats, um, fried foods, fatty foods, fast foods, processed foods that we eat, um, the healthier we are. But if we start to flip that, which we see is very common I think um, if you look at the standard American diet, 60% of it comes from meat and processed foods and sugars and fried foods and fast foods. And I think only 6% comes from fruits, vegetables, whole grains, um, beans, nuts, and seeds. And it really should be kind of not even opposite. I mean, if you can do no meat, that's better. And if you can do like less than, you know, 10%, it's even, it's 
not as good, but it's going to be something. So the point here is, what is one of the regu- four regulated principles? It's no meat, fish, or eggs. And we're learning that actually to take care of the body, that's also very important, no meat, fish, or eggs. As a devotee, we, pra- we do that to practice our um, value of mercy, compassion, right? for all the fallen souls, for all the conditioned living entities. We have um, compassion, and that just because we were, we were talking earlier that we are in this cycle of birth and death, and we're not this body, we're spirit soul, and we're eternal, um, doesn't mean that we can kill other living entities. So um, eating meat is a form of killing other living entities, meat, fish, eggs. Um, these days, even dairy is included in that. Um, and so really what we want to do is eat more whole grains, right, vegetables, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, if one offers me with love and devotion a leaf, a flower, a fruit, water, he will accept it. And what's great about that is that he's provided us what to eat to make this body work you know, very well so that we can carry it our service. Um, and he also tells us what we can offer him and how we can make that, what we're eating, even more spiritualized, right, by offering it as prashadam. Another tenet that we follow is no intoxication. Um, And this is so that we can practice austerity, right? There's a lot of suffering and pain in the world. And if we try to numb it, then we're really not going to learn what we need to learn from it, right? If, If we're always in the constant pursuit of pleasure and we have some something that makes us uncomfortable and we try to ignore it by drinking alcohol and and bearing our pain in that, then we're not going to feel that the suffering that we're meant to feel that we that can help us turn that um, turn that corner and to say, what else is there? There's got to be more than this, right? So if we're dousing that, we find that in um, the medical world, we're learning that so many intoxications also contributes to poor health. We already know the ills of cigarette smoking, tobacco, um, and that's pretty well documented. We've, I think they said there's more than 7,000 studies that have been done that show that smoking and secondhand smoke is bad for the body. It can lead to heart disease, cancer, um, diabetes, you know, all, all sorts of problems. So there's two major things that we can practice in our lives, right? Vegetarian eating and not engaging in substances, risky substances that can be detrimental. So that's where, again, the body can be good or bad. If, if we're doing these things that are abusing the body, it's not really going to help us to achieve spiritual enlightenment um, and so we want to make sure that we're treating the body well. It's, it's carrying us to our next destination, just as a car, right? We get in our car. We're not, we don't become the car, but we use that car to get us to our next destination. But in order to make sure that our car is always running, we have some maintenance to do, right? Change the oil, fill the tank um, up with gas so that it can run, maybe some other maintenance stuff. I'm not a car person, so I don't know so much. Just know those two things that I'm supposed to do. Make sure the tires aren't flat. Um, and then clean it every once in a while. 
But same with the body. We have, we have to feed it the right nutrition, uh, make sure we're getting all the nutrients our body needs, and then wash it, you know, make sure it's nicely dressed. But that's not who we are, right? We're the occupant of the body. You know, just like we're not the car when we're the driver, we're not the body when we're the driver of the body. And so really that's where, you know, that's the foundation of Krishna consciousness. Is we're not this body and that we are servants of Krishna. And that's what we really have to realize. Like it's not, it sounds like a simple concept, but it's really, really hard. Like it's so hard to realize that I'm not a, a female Indian um, doctor, right? Even though that's what this body is doing in this life. I mean, who knows who I was last life and who I'll be my next life. Hopefully I'll be back in the spiritual world or wherever Krishna wants to send me. But, you know, I don't know, because I am very much attached to this body and all the material things that come with it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where we really have to focus our attention, is how do we figure that out, that we are not this body. And we can see so many of the problems of the world are related to that, right? I think Prabhupada used to call it skin disease. Right? I, I'm Indian, that person's Filipino, that person's... Um, black, there's Mexican, and then we all think that our people are the best, right? Like my people are better than your people, my community is better than your community, my religion is better than your religion, and we create so many problems with that. And it's not just that, right? It's, it's my species is better than your species, so that gives me the right to kill and slaughter cows and pigs and other things like that, because there's also speciesism, right? So there's all this identification with the body when last life we could have been a pig and we could have been a cow and next life we can be again. Or, you know, so it's really important that we kind of get this idea set. Like it's, it's great in theory. How do we do it in practice? And the Bhagavad Gita really goes into so much detail about that. So does the Srimad Bhagavatam. Bhagavad Gita is a little bit easier to read. It's only 700 verses. Srimad Bhagavatam is... I always forget, 17,000? 18,000. So it's a little bit more, but either one, I mean, I read both. You know, we can read to understand. We can associate with other people that are on this path to help us understand as well that we're not this body. And we can eat spiritualized foods that have been offered to God. And it's also considered his mercy because he doesn't eat. God doesn't need to use his mouth and tongue and belly to eat, he can eat with his eyes and feel full, and then we're able to eat what, what's left. And that's considered spiritualized food. And then we can chant together in kirtan, or we can chant together in our own private personal meditation. And then we can engage in personal meditation by ourselves. So that's all I have. What questions do you have for me? Yes.
So there's a lot of great, on the material platform, there's a lot of great documentaries that have come out. Um, one of my favorite is called Forks Over Knives. Um, it came out in 2011. Um, it actually talks about the benefits of eating more fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, and cutting out meat altogether. Um, there's a recent one that came out that everybody's really talking about called The Game Changers. It's another um, documentary. Again, these are done by non-devotees, so they may be a little bit easier to, for them to listen to because they may think, oh, this is biased. This is from medical professionals that have been studying this. Um, this information about meat being bad for us has been known since the 1920s. Um, it's just been suppressed because the food industry does not want this information coming out. And, and to do that, they have so much confusion. They, they put out so much contradictory information. Um, I was listening to um, this one doctor. His name is Dr. Michael Greger. He's amazing website called nutritionfacts.org. But in his talk, he talks about the tobacco industry. The tobacco industry in the 50s and 60s, there were a few pioneers that were talking about how detrimental smoking was for health. And they had these commercials like, nine out of ten doctors recommend for you to smoke Marlboros. And then he jokes that one out of ten recommends Lucky's, right, a different brand. And back then, you know, doctors used to smoke while they saw patients, like in the hospital, in the office. They had this idea that smoking was really good for you, so they're trying to market it for kids, coming out with, like, apple-flavored, you know, um, things that would appeal to kids. And they even put out reports that, well, smoking and secondhand smoke is bad for you, but red meat and milk is even worse. This was back in the 60s. They put this as an argument that tobacco is okay because two risks, I guess, don't make a right, but that's what they were thinking. Um, you know. So the idea is, okay, well, if red meat's bad for you, give that up as well. So, you know, of course, the tobacco industry was, like, holding on strong to that because they, don't, they didn't want to lose those profits, right? Money is king, that pursuit of money. So money isn't inherently evil or good. It's how we use it. Um, and so he was stating that, you know, 300, 400 studies, they still didn't hear. Listen, 1,000 studies, still nothing. It took 7,000 studies to show that tobacco was not good for us before they made, okay, maybe we shouldn't be recommending this. Like 6,000 wasn't even enough. 7,000 studies before they thought, okay, maybe this isn't right. So as far as the studies that are showing that meat is bad for us, I think we're only up into the higher, like, hundreds, like, it's a little less than 1,000 maybe, or maybe right at around 1,000. So maybe we have 6,000 more studies to go before you know, the, the medical industry really takes a look at this. I mean, as a matter of fact, recently um, the, there was an article that was released in the Annals of Internal Medicine that said, well, there's not really any good studies that show meat is bad for you, processed meat, red meat, whatever it is, even though there's actually lots of studies that show processed meat is a class one carcinogen, can cause cancer, 
and red meat is class 2 carcinogen. They're saying there's not enough studies that confirm that, so just continue eating the way you're eating. Well, we find out two or three people that are on that, the paper that wrote that, are also on the board of the food industries, right? So they have a a, um, capital gain. They have some financial investment in having people continue to eat meat. Um, So that's where all that confusing information comes from. There was a past president of the American uh, College of Cardiology. His name is Dr. Kim Williams. He's quoted as saying, there are two cardiologists in the world, um, vegans and those who have not read the research. So the point is, is if, you've, if they read the research, they would be vegan. Right? And his other great quote that I liked a lot, too, he said, you know, I do not mind dying. I just don't want it to be my fault. Right? So it's the same thing here, right? We, we know that death is coming. It's inevitable. Everybody's died. We see it. There's nobody that's immortal. Even if we look at the demigods, Brahma, right? He lives for, I, I always lose the calculation, but trillions and trillions of years, right? I mean, maybe not that much, but it's a long time. But he's still, there's still an end to his life. It's still 100 years of his time span, Whereas in earth years, it's much more. Um, and so even he, and he's got the longest life. So even his is finite. And so only when we go back to the spiritual world are we eternal. Because we don't have a body, and we're not taking birth, we're just always there, we always are. So that's where, you know, the, that combination of material and spiritual come in. You know, taking care of the body is one of our, big responsibilities. You know, if we're sick, how can we, you know, like, I always think I don't have that kind of stamina and willpower that if I have three heart attacks for me to go ahead and continue traveling all over the world and preaching and and building temples, right? Prabhupada had some special energy. I can't count on that. So I have to make sure that I'm doing what I can, that I can continue you know, living until I die. I don't want to be slowly dying until I die. So, any other questions? All right. Then, Antara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki. Okay.